everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Digital Marketeer. I'm your host, Stephanie, and today we have Heather McCauley, president of MadTech, with us. Hi, Heather. Thanks for joining. Hi, Stephanie. It's so good to see you and, and be reunited. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Of course. I'm very excited, too. Um, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So Heather McCauley, I am uh, president of MadTech. I have been in this industry for a long time now, close to 20 years, not to date myself. And I can't believe I'm even saying that. But, you know, really started my career um, in, in mobile advertising, mobile marketing, pre-iPhone, I like to say. Again, not to date myself, but um, it was a really incredible journey for me there, um, you know, working at various ad networks, working on the programmatic side, working on the publisher side, and now working at MadTech on the consultancy side. That's great. Can you give us a little synopsis of who MadTech is and what you guys do? Sure. So, I, you know, only I would love to start like, even the, the problems that we're, we're solving for, right? So we found, and I found this too, and I'm sure you see this every day as well, whether you're a publisher or a platform or an agency or a brand, it has become, I think, especially as we go into this new era, uh, you know, it's increasingly difficult to, you know, support your core business, to innovate and future-proof all at the same time. And what I've heard, you know, throughout my career is we just don't have enough product resources. We don't have enough engineering resources to do what we need to do. And whether the CRO raises their hand and does that, says that, or the chief product officer says, I have 10 things on my roadmap, Stephanie, I can only get to eight. I can't get to these other two. And so what MadTech comes in is we are a product focused consultancy specializing in digital media and data. So we have a team of product managers, engineers, um, product marketers who work as an extension of your team to help you build great products, operationalize them internally, and bring them to market. And um, I think consultants are, are so much needed, especially in this in this space today. I will say where we're a bit different is that we definitely can offer the, the strategy piece of it. But what the real differentiator is, is our ability to have that managed development piece, hands-on development, whether you know our engineering, product managers, et cetera. That's great. And it seems like an offering that is unique and really needed. You know, my background is also in ad tech and working for some of the companies that I worked for. I know, you know, there's sprints and you have to try to figure out what is going to be prioritized, what is needed. And there are things that kind of fall at the wayside or get pushed back numerous times because there's just not enough resources or enough time to get things done. So being able to have another or an extension of the team come in and help with that is really amazing. Exactly. And I think too, you know, oftentimes we'll say we can help if there's an expertise gap, but I think that we, there's, we have so many smart engineers and, and product folks in our industry, right? And so it's not always about expertise. It's about just what you just said. It's like having that headcount and mm -hmm. having that extra support to take things off your product roadmap that is starting to clog it up, whether it might be integration work, et cetera. And that's where we can, we can really help. So who would you say, you know, your ideal client would be? Yes, I, you know, MadTech focuses again on publishers, platforms, agencies, and brands. I would say that I, when I look at the majority of our partnerships today, definitely fall more on the, the publisher and platform side, but really starting to um, ramp up with, with agencies and brands. Um, I would say anyone who is, you know, we specialize in the ad tech category as well. Um, so that's really where our, you know, our key clients are. That's great. And it's funny that you say that because I do feel like that part of the business needs the most help 
a lot of publishers that are kind of up and coming or medium size, even large size, I feel like they have so much that they're focused on and so they're being pulled in so many different directions that being able to have a tech partner to kind of onboard and provide some product services is, is a real need there. What is onboarding like and, and how do you kind of understand the tools and the technology and the products that the, the clients are trying to roll out for your team to kind of get entrenched in that? Yeah, I know it's interesting, right? Because it's not like Matt, well, Mad Tech does have a product, which I, I can go into later, but it's not like we have, you know, we'll, we will listen to, you know, we'll have a conversation. We'll say, oh, this is the exact product you need. With consulting, as you know, it's a, it's a lot of listening and asking questions and every case is, is really different. So whether we're helping with like platform architecture analysis configuration, looking at your tech stack and you know any gap analysis that needs to go into that, different vendor evaluations. So like obviously CDPs are a hot topic. It's like, do you need a CDP? What type of CDP do you need? Is it off the shelf? Is it not? You know, how do we stand that up once we have that in place? So those are those are really, and of course the product marketing side as well. So those are really the, the conversations that we're starting to have as, you're right. I mean, publishers are, I, I came from a publisher and it's, you know, they're in an interesting spot right now, right? Because there's a lot of this, I think, vendor fatigue that's happening where mm. before you were able to say, okay, like we can get by, you know, relying on third-party cookies or things like that. But now you have to license all of these different platforms to aggregate your first-party data, right? To enrich your first-party data. There's so many platforms that you do need to license as a publisher. So helping navigate and guide them through that and really taking a step back and understanding your business objectives and what you need and the use cases that you need. And then saying, okay, these are the different platforms we recommend or the types of platforms. And now we actually have to understand what vendors, right, fit into those categories and which is best for you. So that's a lot of what we're, what we're helping with, um, specifically publishers and brands to date. That's great. And, you know, how do you feel about first party data and what is, I guess, MedTech's stance on why it's so important to a lot of your clients? Oh, yeah. So when I think first-party data, the first thing that comes to mind is like direct relationship, right? Which is, it's just so, so, so important. And um, so that's one. And the other is control. And I think we're at a point now where the control can finally come back to the publisher and brand, whereas before that, that wasn't the case with third-party cookies. And even back to the control of the consumer, which is even more important, right? So when you think about that direct relationship you have with your consumer and building that foundation is so important, right? Because the more we understand about our consumer, the more we can acquire consumers that look like are these consumers and also be able to retain them. I mean, I'll give you a real life example, speaking from the consumer, when I think about first party data um, that comes to mind, like I... <laughs> I have a mailbox that's always overstuffed. Like I don't get my mail every day. I check my email constantly, but my mail is like out in the mailbox. And I went out the other day and I hadn't picked up the mail in a few days and my kids are playing in the driveway. And I'm just like, oh, I'm just annoyed because I had this pile of just mail. And I will tell you, most of it was junk mail. And it frustrated me. I'm like, this is a waste of time for me to go through it. It's a waste of paper. It's just a waste, right? And then I came across this, this, catalog for this company. It was called like M and me or something that really fit like me as a, as a, my age, my gender, my, the way I dress. And I made two big purchases from there. And I felt like, wow, this was a personalized experience. Like they get me right. And I, I just go back to that because 
the more we can understand about the end consumer and the more we can personalize their experience, data doesn't become like scary anymore. It becomes helpful to the end consumer and helpful to the, the publisher and brand as we start to have more of that that really, you know, that direct relationship. So first party data, we are, we are so bullish on at, at, at Mad Tech, right? And helping our, our publishers and brands really understand what that strategy looks like and how to go about thinking about that. And then understanding that there are very many different flavors of first party data, right? So that you might have first party data that looks more like, okay, an authenticated user, like I know your email address, so, right? So that's, you know, I, that's more like one-to-one -one targeting. Versus first-party data, understanding my, you know, what I'm, the content I'm consuming and putting me more into a contextual bucket, right? Or surveying me to understand more about me. So we can start to, the more of a direct relationship we have, the more we can understand about our consumer and everyone, everyone's going to win if we continue to, to hone in on that. Yeah. Um, it's been a hot topic for many, many years, both first-party data and the dying cookie, um, which seems to somewhat go hand in hand. So yeah. do you think that your clients or the digital world is prepared for the end of cookies? And how is MadTech kind of helping with that change? Um, <laughs> I will give you an answer that says that I will say we are much more prepared than we are were a year ago. I think the best thing that Google did a few years back, even if they weren't serious about deprecating the cookie right away, was dangle that timeline in front of us where everyone started to panic a little bit. Um, so I, I think that we are again, more prepared than we were, but we are not nearly prepared enough. And so what you're seeing happening is that marketers are still relying on, on third-party cookies. They are still, I think it was like 75% of marketers, a study just came out, still rely heavily on third-party cookies and 45% of marketers are still spending at least half of their budgets on campaigns and other activations that are using third-party cookies. So when you think about that, it's very chicken in the egg because when I was in a publisher and Google kept pushing back the timeline, it was like, how can I justify making investments into cookie list strategies if my the brands are not going to buy or test, right? Because they're maybe waiting to the last moment. I, I think we're definitely seeing that some brands and publishers are ahead of others, but um, I, I think that we are we're not as prepared as we, we should be, but we are definitely much more prepared than we, we were a year ago. My advice when you ask about MadTech's approach, you know, one thing I try to tell brands and publishers to do is take a step back and really try to understand the revenue impact of what's going on for you personally as a brand, right? Or public marketer or publisher, or whatever. You, you know, if you don't, and using maybe consultancies or something to try to understand what that revenue impact is going to be and why that's so important, Stephanie, is because you need to get buy-in from so many different departments now between like legal and marketing. And, and there's just so many people who are now going to be impacted, right? By all these changes when the when the third-party cookie on Chrome finally deprecates, right? It's obviously deprecated on other browsers. Um, you need to get buy-in. So that's the first thing you should do is start to build a case for that. Like have your, you know, educate your organization on why it's important. And if you're a marketer, it's the investment that's going to be needed because behavioral targeting and all of that is going to, the price of that is going to skyrocket. And also like the scale is going to shrink. So how are we going to put aside investment to invest in tools and technologies that are able to get it to, to bring our first party data strategy to fruition? And then so once you figure that out, it's okay, what's our strategy, right? What's our first party data strategy? And there's a lot of different you know, flavors of this and ways you can go about it. But at the end of the day, it's like, what are the business outcomes I need to achieve? 
what data do I have on hand today? Because I think it's very overwhelming for a brand to think, well, I need, I need to know every single thing about this consumer. Well, well, no, slow down a minute. Maybe you don't, right? What do you need, right, to acquire consumers, retain con your consumers, et cetera, right? What are the gaps? What are you missing, right? Where is your data coming from? Is it coming from, you know, is it living in all disparate places in your organization? Like, okay, and now once we figure out all those answers to those questions, it's like, what tools and technologies can help us aggregate that data? How can we enrich that data? How can we look at alternatives to third-party cookies in a privacy-safe way in the form of alternative IDs? You know, how can we better understand our consumer through, you know, identity graphs and all of that? So I think to me, it's it's taking that step-by-step -step approach. One thing I will say that we I've seen happen again and again is don't panic into the sense that you have a checklist of, I need a CDP, I need a clean room, I need all of these things. Find out what you need in your use cases and then work backwards, right? Because a lot of these platforms can solve for multiple solutions, or just multiple challenges, I should say. So it's really about taking that approach where, again, understanding the revenue impact to your business, educating your, your organization, you know, creating that strategy, and then it's collaboration. Because one thing I will say that is, I think, a bright right star in all of this is that I've never seen the industry collaborate in such ways as we have been doing currently. And even though we've kind of hit a rough patch right now in terms of some advertising budget shrinking, et cetera, it's like we're coming together to try to figure out solutions to get us over this hump. That's great. And um, I really like that approach. And I, I like the way you kind of laid it out and made it very digestible for people, because I do feel like a lot of people are panicking. It's either like, oh, I have time and I'll figure it out. Or I'll wait to see what everyone else does. Or they're like, oh my goodness, what do I do right now? Exactly. And I think too, like this is the time to task. Like th third-party cookies are still here. So if you're going to start investing in, in any other, you know, cookie solutions, now's the time to do it so you can test it against the third-party cookies we have today. Right. So the time is definitely now. If you haven't started, um, again, don't panic, but start. <laughs> And do you think that there's a one size fits all solution or do you think it's something that's going to be customized, like you said, based off of people's needs? Because I do feel like, you know, some of these smaller companies, um, smaller brands may not have the infrastructure, the people or the money to invest in all of these customized solutions or testing all of these different partners to see what does fit for them. I wish I could say there's a one size fits all solution. I really do. Um, I will give you a real life example of how, why there is not, but there are best practices. So I think there's a difference. There's not a one size fits all solution because everyone, there's different verticals, there's different business objectives. There's, there's a lot of different things, but there's definitely best practices. I will give you an example though of, of why there is not a one size fits all solution. I was at a, one of the, the publisher I was with before um, had 100% authenticated user base, meaning every single consumer that engaged with us, we understood their email address, physical home address, date of birth, et cetera. We were um, very unique in that sense because most publishers will never attain that and you just have to accept that, right? So I would have to wear my, hey, we have 100% authenticated user base hat when talking to a lot of maybe um, deterministic alternative ID providers, right? And things like that, where they get really excited about the scale that we had. But in the same breath, we had acquired a publisher that had no authenticated user base, right? And everything was, was heavily contextual based. So the conversations I had with vendors, even the vendors I chose to engage with were very different. And so I'd start the conversation over here and then I'd say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about in this case? And there was a, little, a bit of a different set of solutions, right? So I don't think there's a one size fits all. However, I think there's some things that you can think about, which is one, there will be no 
I don't think for the foreseeable future, like one solution in terms of an alternative ID or an enrichment provider and an identity graph, it's you're going to say, ha, I am partnered with this partner and that's all I need. And, and that's not going to be the case. You are going to need a healthy dose of deterministic solutions and probabilistic solutions to be able to really bring that first party data solution to life. I will say though, going back to first party data, like that is essential. And, and I think that there's, again, different flavors of that in terms of what it looks like, whether that's zero party data, and then you think about second party data, and then you think about third party data and all that, um, and your use cases for all of them. But I think like thinking that there is one size fits all is, is, is not the best approach, unfortunately. But I do think there are best practices around, you know, create your strategy, know that you're going to have to partner with a variety of vendors in order to, to kind of bring all this to fruition. And do you think with all of this, there's, you know, one technology or one type of provider that um, you should start with or that could maybe help the majority of types of businesses or, you know, okay, if your brand maybe start here or if you're a publisher, maybe start here. Is there one technology over another that you feel is more important or should be considered first? Um, I think it goes back to your business objectives and use cases. I'll give you an example. Okay. If you're, if your data, if first, you know, your first, you have first party data strategy, all of that, and your data is aggregated in, in, I shouldn't even say aggregated. It lives in so many different places within your organization. It's siloed per se. To me, that is like, okay, we gotta, we gotta figure this out. Mm -hmm. We got to, you know, do we have to um, consolidate that data in a place where it can be, you know, aggravated and activated and enriched and all that? So, so that's where like a CDP would come into play. And if, there's so many different <laughs> CDPs out there and different types of CDPs. So I think that's a technology that is needed. But again, going back, like figure out what your use cases before that. I would say if you want to understand more about your consumer, no one's going to have a 360 degree perfect understanding of their consumer, right? Even you know, you have physical home address, email, all that. There's so so many things you need to know about that consumer. So, so what types of maybe enrichment providers then can you look at or, you know, licensing identity graphs? And then you think about really fun things like, okay, I have my first party data built up. I know that there's a publisher out there or a partner of mine who's non-competitive that also has first party data. And there might be an overlap in that audience. Is there a way that we could find out more about this audience together? And that's where maybe data clean rooms come in, Right. So I think that it's like, again, understanding all the, the different use cases for what you need and what you're looking for, and then backing into all these different solutions. And then I should say on top of that, you have you know, data acceleration platforms that exist to, to make CDPs work even harder and better for you. And that gets confusing too, because you're like, well, I can't just have a CDP. I need a CDP and like a, another something to make it work harder. Um, and the answer is, you know, sometimes yes. So I think there's not like one solution. I would say CDPs are becoming increasingly important to, to kind of have that data all live in one place. And then you can, you know, identify our use cases and there's a lot of different technologies that can help get you there. And with that said, like, what do you think is the biggest challenge moving to a cookie world? Aside from people just not being prepared and thinking that they have more time because Google keep pushing back the end date, you know, what do you think overall would be the biggest challenge for, for clients that current are, aren't currently ready for it? Yeah. I mean, it's replacing a lot of, I mean, it's, it's essentially replacing the way you're, you've been doing business for years. And when I, when I say doing business, it's, a, it's acquiring, retaining customers. Right. And I think, I think a big part of this is the amount of 
partners you need to actually work with. I think it's the amount of vendors you need to bring into the room and have these big conversations with. These are big investments. These are not like, you know, you're working with six ad networks back in the day and you're just like, you know, spreading your money out. And what this is like, these are big platform investments that these, these brands and publishers are making. And before you were able to, you know, bounce data off a browser or third-party cookie. And now it's like, no, you actually need platforms to do a lot of this work. And you have to license platforms and almost create, your, in a sense, your own private data network, right? So you might need a CDP, you might need a clean room, you might need a, you know, multiple enrichment providers, identity graphs. What about attribution and personalization? And, you know, so, and all of these platforms need to be connected, right? So they be, need to be transferred. The data needs to be transferred, normalized as it goes from one platform to another. So I think a challenge here is like, wow, I didn't even know we would these technologies existed and we needed them. Um, I think that's going to be a big challenge is, is vendor fatigue. And I hear that a lot. It's like, I just want to cut down on the number of vendors we're using. Can I just use one alternative ID? I have to use three to five. <laughs> like, really? I need to license multiple clean rooms because they're not interoperable with another. That th Those are hard conversations to have. I think that that might change eventually as we see more consolidation and we see more platforms do more, but that's really what, I, I think it's the vendor fatigue. I think it's the amount of new technologies licensing and the amount of investment and the checks that need to be written up front for, for, you know, testing solutions that aren't even here yet. So I think, I think that's, that's a big problem. Yeah. Um, I agree. And I think that you, you lay it out very well. Um, and I do think and agree with you as well, that there will be cons consolidation. We go through, I feel like the industry goes through these cycles almost of something changes, all of these companies are introduced, all of these technologies get built up, and then there's consolidation of either acquisitions, or, you know, the best technology just beating out some of the inferior partners and people will realize, like you said, what works best for them and their business goals to be able to understand how to properly move forward. I, I, I completely agree with you. And I think whenever there's some sort of like crisis in our industry, and I, I guess I, it's not a crisis per se, but mo monumental changes, that's when the innovation comes yep. and the collaboration and then hence the consolidation. So yeah. And it's yeah. always a fun time, as scary as it could be. It's very exciting. And part of what I love about our industry is that it is continuously evolving and growing. Um, yes. I remember back in the day having a meeting in Media Math talking about the word programmatic. And it was like a foreign word. People couldn't even pronounce it at the time. And I was like, well, what does this mean? And they were like, nothing. We just have a word for what we do now. Like, <laughs> it was like you right. know, and, you know, it, it's very exciting to be a part of that where you're constantly being challenged to be smarter and learn something new. I I completely agree. And that's why I, I love this industry so much. And I love, I love the education aspect of it too. And I think as a consultant or as a vendor, the, the best thing you can do right now, even if you're a marketer and publisher, is to just to educate yourself and continue that, continue that education. You know, early on in my career, I moved to New York in uh, September 2008, which is when like the financial world was like crashing. And I was, you know, and I was telling you before I, I started mobile pre iPhone. And so I, I knew a lot about the technology, but nobody was buying mobile, especially from an ad network that nobody knew about. Right. And so I'd go to these agencies and brands and I would say, look, I, I just let me educate you on, on this new technology, because at some point your CMO is going to read about this in the wall street journal and call you. And I want you to be prepared. 
right? I want you to understand what this new technology is. And so I, I educated them. And then when they got their mobile budgets, they remembered me. And that's when that's when it happens, right? As a salesperson, it's all about, I would say in this period of time, like what you're just saying, when we're, we're going through all of this, this change, the best thing you can do is continue to educate yourself. And as a vendor, you need to be able to add value, even when people aren't buying, right? Being able to add value and to educate and people will remember that and eventually will come back to you. So I think that education is just, it just goes back to what you're saying, is just so important in this industry, especially when we're experiencing such monumental change. Yeah, definitely. And what do you think that marketers and advertisers could do to really strengthen their first party data um, and utilize it more if they aren't doing so already? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it all comes down to a value exchange. And I think that's why, you know, you see like um, retailers, right? Like retailers are able to amass such, um, first part, you know, so much first party data, um, such high quality first party data and such, you know, highly accurate first party data because of the value exchange. Um, I will willingly raise my hand and give my email address to someone who I will get 20% off or free shipping for like to me, who is a, you know, fierce online shopper. Like I, I will give you that information and I, you know, in return for something. And I think that thinking about that value exchange is, is really, really important and what your consumers are willing, you know, are going to give up um, to you and, and what are they going to get in return? Right. Um, so I think that that's, that's pretty powerful. You know, my previous publisher, we did a lot with surveys too, which, which is difficult, but like, again, it goes back to that value exchange or people willing to give up information in exchange for, for something else. So I think thinking back to that, and I've seen a lot of publishers be really, really innovative in that respect. I think there was one publisher that like had, I was at the Washington post. I don't want to misquote myself, but they had done a partnership with like Com. And it was like, you know, get a free subscription or a free month of this if you give us your email. Like those are really innovative ways, I think, and exciting ways to say, okay, let's let's start really thinking about a value exchange in different ways. And so I think that's going to be most important. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, looking at it from that perspective, I am a sucker for 20% off or, you know, I, I really hate paying for shipping. I hate paying for returns. I don't know why, but I will scour the internet for a free shipping promo code because I just feel like with the way that people shop today, it's something that should automatically be included. And if you're going to give me an exchange where I give you my email and you give me that, then that's even better. How do you think that retailers and brands are going to be affected by this? And if there's anything that they should be doing to kind of prepare? Yeah, I mean, same thing. It's it's all about first party data. Publisher, brand, retailer, it doesn't matter. Like this better understanding who your consumer is is going to be so important. And again, we keep saying, I keep saying first party data. I still think there's a need for third party data to help enrich and fill in those gaps. A need for second party data where you're relying on someone else's first party data to help fill in those gaps. There's There, there will be need for all of that. So as long as data is collected and sourced in the right way, a privacy safe way, um, it doesn't involve third-party cookies. Like these are all good things, right? So I think you know brands, retailers. Again, it's it's the same formula, Stephanie. It's it's just about creating that value exchange. You know, understanding you know unique ways to to um, either the contextual too, right? We think about that with first party, like putting and creating you know interesting audience segments. Um, so I I think that brands and retailers will follow the same the same playbook. I mean, look at all the success with, with retail media networks. I think it's going to be like a $52 billion industry this year or something mm. crazy. I mean, 
I'm not totally surprised because again, it goes back to first party data and that consumer being in the mindset of making a purchase, right? And think about all the 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 um, opportunities for measurement and all of that that goes into it from that retailer. So I think there's really no surprise there. I think that the only thing I, I see with retailers that goes back to my earlier argument around vendor fatigue that mm. retailers are going to need to figure out some sort of um, differentiator um, because there's just so many retail media networks popping up. I mean, look what happened to the gap, right? And I I, I say good for them for, for trying it out, right? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it came down to focus and it came down to differentiation. And it comes down to scale. And so how many retail media networks are you going to work with? Right. If you're Procter and Gamble or, or someone is a brand, you have to really have that strong differentiator. Um, and I think some of them really do. And some of them, unfortunately, don't and need to figure that out. Um, we spoke a little bit about personalization earlier, and I know this all kind of boils down to having a better experience, understanding your user, being able to relate to them more. That does scare some people. You know, um, I also see things on the news and, you know, mass media that don't really give the whole story of data and privacy and personalization. And for a average person that doesn't understand the industry and, and isn't in it and doesn't understand that there are requirements and there's no PII being passed and, you know, there's all of these safety measures, a lot of times it goes back to the personalization and being able to kind of, hey, this is a better experience for you and this is what it's being used for. How important do you really think that is? And also with some of the younger generation that are blocking ads and, you know, choosing to not consume media in the same way are making it a bit more difficult for that personalization to happen. Yeah, it's a real great question because it's such a delicate balance. You know, it's interesting because I see, I, 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 you can feel this when you're in our industry, you can feel this coming to a head when you start to hear like, I should say the cocktail party, some not in your industry talking about their consumer data being used inappropriately, right? Or you're like talking to your friend, like my phone's listening to me. I'm getting all these ads because my phone's listening to me. I'm like, I think it's just like great algorithms and targeting, but you know, I, so it's all of this, you know, we're, we're seeing this happen. You're right. And then you're seeing like, you know, New York times, but other like more like mainstream publications saying like, what, how's your consumer data being used? And you go down the one-on-one in San Francisco and you have like, these ads for Apple from Apple talking about like privacy and your data is being used inappropriately. And so the consumer awareness piece of this is huge. I think education, and I don't know how you do this in a, in a, in a way that reaches the masses, but the education piece is really important because I just brought up that, that example to you about my mailbox. Right. Right. And I'm going to get mail. I'm going to get catalogs, but I'd rather receive the right type of catalogs. If I'm going to get ads, I might as well get an experience that um, introduces me to something that I wasn't aware of or reintroduces me to something versus something that's totally inappropriate or, um, you know, isn't, doesn't meet my needs. I try to tell my kids this all the time that like when they see a commercial, which they, they barely do anymore, it's like, why do we have to watch this? You know, it's like, well, and trying to explain that to them is this like, again, that, that value exchange of like, you get to watch this for free because we're watching a commercial. <laughs> I think our generation is that my kids are like, what is, like, they just start screaming. They don't understand. Yeah. So I think there's, a, there's gotta be like, you know, it's, it's about consumer education and it's about saying like, you know, it, no such thing as a free lunch. Like you need to, con you're going to have to consume some sort of advertising um, or, you know, in order to, to receive free content. Um, and then I also 
think about like, I try to use real life examples about personalization, how much data, like let's start thinking about how data has improved our lives, right? Versus trying to like shy away from it and all the, the convenient ways that we haven't even touched yet that, you know, with, um, you know, using data in a privacy safe way can really, can really enhance our lives. Um, which I, I think we don't talk about enough. We just talk about like all the crazy, terrible things that are happening with the data. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Cause there are some really great use cases of data being used properly and data being used to really enrich the experience and really put forth, like you said, introducing me to new products and brands or giving me something that I need or that I'm looking for or something that relates to my family and, and so on and so forth. You also were talking a little bit about Medtech's product. So I would love to hear a little bit more about your actual product and how that works and some use cases for that as well. Yeah, so we, Medtech, it's interesting. Um, so our CEO, my CEO, Bob Walzak, um, kind of has a product background and background in product, I should say. And we were, you know, the first few months I was here, I was having tons of conversations with, with platforms, agencies, and brands. And like, what are your biggest challenges? And they all, everyone has challenges, right? One thing that kept coming up again and again, so we really recognized this pattern that was happening was like what I described earlier, which was like, look, we we have to license more platforms than we've ever had to before. I mean, we just went through a lot of those, right? The challenge that they were having was that transferring the data and normalizing the data as it goes from one platform to another, as you kind of create that private data network for yourself, for all the, the platforms that you licensed, those integrations were not readily as readily available as you would expect. So from the platform point of view, if you're talking to a CDP or a clean room or enrichment provider, what have you, they did not want to spend engineering cycles building out integrations across platforms. They wanted their engineers focused on innovation, right? And on the brand and agency and publisher side, I would hear like, oh, I licensed all these platforms, Stephanie. Like they, <laughs> I can't, they, I can't even use them properly because they can't transfer data readily from one platform to another and normalize that in a way that can be readily, you know, accepted by each platform. Um, we created Mad Connect, which is a one-to-many connector, right? That is allows for the transfer and normalization of, of data between platforms, right? So you um, connect once through us through an API and then you're instantaneously um, integrated with, with a lot of other platforms that are in the market. Hundreds of platforms were building towards that. Um, we just launched last month and we've had pretty overwhelming demand for that, which which shows that just, you know, listening to the market, identifying that need, and that's what we've built. So again, it's it's the pipes, right, to really power the the um, data platform ecosystem and really, you know, help for that, that inter interoperability challenge that really exists between data platforms. So it's helping out everyone. And the nice thing about MadTech and the platform we've created, MadConnect, is we're, we're we're a neutral party. So we're not competing against the CDP. We're not trying to enrich any data. We're not doing any data onboarding. All we're trying to do is the pipes, right? We're trying to normalize and transfer that data. And so that has been, it's been incredible, the amount of demand we've received for that. So we're continuing to build that out. It's all available through a self-service uh, self UI. That's great. And really amazing to be able to have something like that in market, not only for your clients, but to just be able to connect those sources and create a solution that's lacking in the industry. Is that also a standalone offering? It's a standalone offering. Yes. So, I mean, MadTech, that's our, that's our consultancy, right? That's where we come in and help. And of course, you know, I mean, we have all the engineers and product managers on that side, but MadConnect is, is that unique product that, it, that exists in the market right now. Um, and so again, we can have conversations with everyone on that. Um, and we're continuously building out those, those connectors, but it, it's nice, you know, to, 
to be able to have conversations and have an industry-wide solution that we've developed that, yeah. that really solves for that at scale. It's a really good feeling. And we actually are helping every part of the ecosystem out <laughs> and connecting all those ad tech and martech platforms that that need to be integrated with each other. So it's been it's been really fun. That's great. And how do you think or how do you feel? You know, we hear a lot about the metaverse and web three and all of these new AI tools that are coming out. How do you think that's going to influence what's happening right now with first party data and moving to a cookie-less world? Yeah, I mean, I think it's all tied together in some respect. And I think like AI is is exciting, it's scary, but it's been existing for some time, right? Mm-hmm. And it's already integrated in so much of what we how we work and what we do that we don't even know it's there most of the time. So I think that chat GPT is really um, created this mass consumer awareness about AI, but its technology has existed for some time, but now it's really available for the masses to use. Um, but I could go down that on a separate segment, but um, <laughs> I would say that it's a really loaded question. I think it's tied together in some respects and AI could, could, could essentially touch every part of our, part of our business. Right. So um, I think it, there's a lot to be seen there um, for sure. Yeah. Um, well, maybe we'll have a follow-up and, and dive deeper into that. Sure. Uh, what are some strategies and tactics that you use to motivate your team and and keep them learning and keep them hungry to keep moving forward and and working with with you and your accounts where you know they are actively acquiring new customers and getting those customers to get more entrenched into medtech? Yeah, I mean, I I think I've always been a believer with. with- motivation is really understanding how we all do our job and we all do our part and what that job is to to create that larger vision of what what mad tech wants to be right mad tech and mad connect and so feeling that they have you know a part of that and they're able to influence that and control that is is exciting to them and some of these accounts seeing them come in like from hearing someone in a podcast and reaching out and saying hey i really liked what you said here but i feel like you could use some help here to watching that that first touch point really turn into a live deal and then helping and then finding more work from there is, is really exciting and, and thinking about that journey. And so I think that trying to inspire the team to do that is something that's, that's important because, um, you know, this is a new company, right? Mad tech has only been around for a year and a half. And so everyone who's a part of that really gets to build that. And so sharing in that vision and understanding how we can all do our jobs to help you know, our clients make money, which is really what it comes down to, right? That we're solving problems, we're helping our clients make money is really rewarding. That's great. And if you had one piece of advice that you could give to marketers today, what would it be? Oh, oh gosh. Um, (laughs) One piece of advice. Okay. I would say, (laughs) look, I would say that this, what we're going through right now as an industry is going to take enormous investment and patience, right? But at the end of the day, we're all going to come out on the other side of this in a better place, right? The reliance on third-party cookies is that we're all part of this painful part of this ecosystem that we're in it together to try to get over this hump, to get to this next phase of our industry, which is going to be so much better in so many ways, because we're going to be focusing on consumer privacy first. We're going to be focusing on the direct relationship we have with the consumer, right? And so I think as a marketer, knowing that you are part of this journey and you're part of this change and just try to be patient and, and definitely test right now and don't like, you know, be proactive, but at the same time, don't panic and know that at the end of the day, we are all going to be on the better side of this. I promise. Like we are, um, the future looks bright for sure in advertising, but it's just going to take some work and, and patience and investment to get there. 
Awesome. So I always like to end the segment with two fun questions. One, what was your first job ever? My first W-2. Okay. McDonald's. I worked at my dad's friend had owned a few McDonald's and he needed help one summer. And so my friends and I, and my brother was also an ad tech. Um, we started our employment at McDonald's and it was the same McDonald's fun fact in Andover mass that Jay Leno worked at is his first job. Oh, wow. It was, you know, I, I think that, um, it was a, I still have so many great memories of that summer and it was, it was interesting. I think everyone should try something like that once. That's great. Um, and if you could choose a different career, money, no object, you know, place doesn't matter. You could do anything in the world. What would it be? This is easy for me. So I, when I moved from New York to California, I was super homesick for New York. I'm much, I live in Boston now, but I was much more, I feel like I missed the New York energy and there's nothing. San Francisco was beautiful and amazing, but I feel like you can't even compare the two cities. You have to choose one or the other, but my husband's a San Francisco native and um, he, I was homesick and he said, you know, I'm going to bring you out to Napa and Sonoma and we're just going to go wine tasting every weekend. And I really fell in love with that industry. And what I fell in love about it most, most of all was the way when you go to a wine tasting, the way they talk about the wine, the passion behind it, they're teaching you. I like fell in love with, with all of it, like the descriptions they write about the wine. And so I signed up for like every wine club membership, which was ridiculous. Um, so now I'm, I'm back in Boston, obviously, and I don't have access to all of that. But what I do do is every like Thanksgiving or Christmas, I choose a winery and usually in Sonoma every now and then Napa, but um, I choose a winery in Sonoma, hopefully family owned. And I order like a case or two of wine and I bring my family through a tasting as if I was, you know, the, the wine owner, winemaker, or, you know, and I bring them through this whole thing. I educate them on the wines. And so at some point someday, I would love to own like a tasting room in New England that kind of mimics that whole experience, right? And gives people an East Coast access to some of the great wines in California. They're able to pick up their, you know, shipments and tasting and all of that. So um, I do, I do love that. That's so maybe amazing. Someday- <laughs> That sounds so fun. I've been to Sonoma and it is a lot of fun. Um, and I, I really enjoy wine as well. Um, and that's a really cool, that would be a really cool job. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know, you know, but for now, uh, sticking with this industry. Go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Heather. This was really amazing and, and really great. I enjoyed our conversation. Can you mm-hmm. let us know where our listeners could find you if they are interested in working with you or learning more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, our website is madtech.io, but you can reach me at heather at madtech.io. So pretty easy. Um, but we'd love to have a conversation with anyone and any topic we want to dive into more today. So um, we'd love to help. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay. Love you too.